0: Here at the close of Paul's first letter to Timothy, he calls Timothy a man of God. After that kind of statement, you might think Paul now exhorts the man of God to stand and fight. But instead, the apostle tells him to flee, to run for his life from certain sins of passion like greed and lust. It's smart and courageous to put distance between us and the thing that can take us down. But that's not all Paul has to say as he concludes his letter to his dear son in the faith. Let's join Pastor Ross now with a message entitled, Flee, Pursue, and Fight. All righty, let's get started. Got a lot to cover. We're going to, Lord willing, finish up 1 Timothy chapter 6 and we'll be done with the entire epistle. Let's ask the Lord for his blessing. <clears throat> now, Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your great love. We acknowledge that... We have the word of God because it it has come from you, from heaven, a supernatural living word that's sharp like a sword that can get through to the bottom of our hearts inside and do some wonderful, transforming work. We pray, Father God, that we would leave this place changed. We're grateful for your great love. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. At this time, I'm going to remind you about your cell phone. (laughs) Um, Some of you didn't hear the cell phone, which is God's blessing. (laughs) Uh, But if you do uh, want to check that cell phone so that you don't get embarrassed during the message, that would be awesome. All right, we ready? One day, our Lord Jesus gathered his followers around him and told a most intriguing story he said, Think of Christianity or think of your Christian life like this. A certain man was about to go on a journey, and he calls his servants together. He entrusted his property to them, and this is what he said He said, While I'm gone, I want you to put my money to work, to invest, to be productive. When I return, we'll see how you did. So to each one, according to his own ability, that's an important part of the story, he handed out money. So to the first one, he handed out, and for our purposes, we'll call it $5,000. Well, he got busy right away, and he made 5000 more. Number two, the second man, he was entrusted with $2,000, and he doubled the master's investment as well. And then uh, a third person was given $1,000 and he was lazy and did nothing with that. Now, Jesus went on with the story that after a long time, that master of who uh, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with each one of them the first servant came in and said, hey, master, you gave me five grand, and man, uh, I worked and doubled your money, and here it is. It was all smiles, and the second one came in, he said, well, you gave me $2,000, I did the same, I worked just as hard, and I doubled what you gave me, and here's your profit. They were saying, we stewarded the resources that you invested with us, and we were profitable for you. Our Christian lives were profitable to you and your interests. And the Lord said, well done. You are good and faithful servants. You've been faithful with the little I gave you. Now I put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. We'll all Christians know who read this story that Jesus was talking about all of us who believe in his name and describing what it means to be a Christian in terms of in, uh, in ways that we can understand and these final words when we stand before the Lord and settle accounts with him which we will all do uh, one day uh, the coveted prize of course the inspiration for doing everything we do as a Christian is to hear him look at us and say, well done, good, faithful servant. But clearly not everybody is going to hear that. Of course, the lazy man who, who the Lord describes as lazy and wicked uh, stands for the unbeliever. He's not going to get uh, the accolade, well done, good and faithful servant, right? But sadly, we also know that there will be believers who make it to heaven who do not really hear that accolade of well-done, good, and faithful servant. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 through 15, talks about believers who were really seriously and consistently unfaithful and unproductive. They make it to heaven because we're saved by faith and trusting Jesus, no merit on our part. But as described in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 15, they make it to heaven, uh, saved as though escaping through the flames. Those folks are not going to hear, hey, well done, good and faithful servant. Um, and so the big question, of course, is how can we be sure that when we have that appointment with the Lord, as each one of us will, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10 says, we will all. Stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And that passage speaks to believers. It's just really elaborating on the parable that Jesus taught, that one day we have an appointment to to give an account of how we stewarded the Christian life and all that that means, that he poured into our hearts that day when we came to faith in him. How do we know we're gonna hear well done. What does it mean? Because the metaphor is about like financial investing, right? So we know it's not literally that per se. It's really using your Christian life, living in such a way that brings a profit or advances the kingdom of God. And and so really the New Testament in all its exhortations and the Old as well. Whatever it's exhorting us to do anything, it's telling you how to finish well so that you can stand before God unashamed, head held high, and hear that, that the music to the ears and to the soul when the, the Son of God looks with the, those eyes at you and says, well done. You did great. Good job. Let's talk about it. Well... Here in First Timothy, and the reason I kept thinking about that story all week long is because if you follow the Holy Spirit's inspiration through the Apostle Paul to his protege, Timothy, here, if you follow the advice here just in chapter 6, as we con- conclude, he's really telling Timothy, here's how you do it. Here's how you stand before the Lord at the end of your life, and you'll hear him say, Well done, good and faithful servant. So if you are just joining us here to catch you up in chapter 6, because we pick up uh, around verse 11, um, Paul really wants something better for Timothy than who he's been describing. He's been describing these false teachers who have kind of fell for some spiritual deception of the times went after money, just all kinds of foolish nonsense. And he's, he's, he's wanting something better for Timothy. So he always exposes the bad guys and then encourages Timothy. He, he exposes their bad theology and their wicked behavior and then he encourages Timothy. And Timothy, of course, stands for us. And so he's saying, here's how they live. Now, here's how you should live, verse 11. But you, man of God, flee from all of this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Let's pause there. Now, Lord willing, I want to make it through the chapter, but really, you just can't rush through a verse like this because it's so key. So, the, here comes a list of imperatives, of commands, that if you do them, you're going to be faithful to the end. And number one would be flee. The man of God, the woman of God, the person who belongs to God, the person who's going to be faithful at the end, they know when it's time to get out of there, all right, to flee. So we're going to talk about that. He says flee all of this, and we have the verse for you to reflect on while we're talking about it. He says, Flee all of this. Well, all what? If you just joined us, you don't really know. So I'll tell you. He's been talking about, as I kind of mentioned, uh, teaching incorrect doctrine, kind of suckered into the New Age progressive spiritual deception of the day called Gnosticism. It's very similar to our New Age uh, philosophies. He said, don't get suckered into all of that the craving for controversy and debate, uh, corrupt minds and greedy for money, and all of that, he says, but you, man of God, flee all of this. The first thing I've written down that encourages me that a man of God or a woman of God knows when to flee. Now, the, the first thing that really is important is that he Tells him who he is. He says, but you, you're a man of God. I've been talking about a man of the world. We've been talking about a man who loves money. We've been talking about men who have corrupted minds, who have abandoned the faith, who have chasing after nonsense. He says, but you, you're a man of God. You're a woman of God. You belong to God. You're not like them. So so number one, recognize who you are in Christ. You have to know who you are, to whom you belong, to live out your destiny. God is calling you to a different character, a different outcome, a different destiny. And he says, but you You're not a man of the world. You're not a man of nonsense. You're not a man who, every time the the hook gets lowered with some stupid worm on it doing a dance for you to bite, that you bite, not you, because you're a man of God. You're a woman of God. You're not like the world. You have to keep reminding Timothy because Timothy always forgets. Timothy always forgets. The second Timothy, chapter 1, 6 through 8, he has to tell him, stop being so timid. Always forgetting. He says, God hasn't given us the spirit of fear, bro. Power, love, sound mind, right? And then he goes on there. He says, and by the way, stop being so afraid. Stop being a coward. God hasn't given us that kind of uh, fear. Fan into flame. Fan into flame the gift of God that is in you. And then he says, uh, stop being ashamed of me and my my chains, and stop being ashamed of the gospel. He has to remind Timothy. And, and why does he have to remind Timothy? Because Timothy is like us. And that's why I think God is using Timothy here, because we can relate to Timothy. If it were Paul, you know, Paul is so kind of out of reach. He's like a machine for God, you know. He's a superhero. He doesn't even feel real, but he is real. But Timothy is somebody we can relate to. So he says, you know who you are? You're a man of God. And man of God is never used in the New Testament, only two times, and they're both for Timothy. And why is that so? Commentators say, because... Man of God or a woman of God, a person who belongs to God, is a title for all of us. All who name the name of the Lord. We are Timothy. We are Timothets. <laughs> all right? We, we are people of God. And so he says, hey, Timothy knows man of God. He, he's, a, he's a Jew. His, fa- his father was a Gentile. His mom was a Jew. And his grandma. And he was raised in Judaism. So he knows The word, word, you're a man of God like Moses. It's used 68 times in the Old Testament. For Moses, for David, for Samuel, for Elijah, for Elisha. What's he saying? He's saying, listen, you're in a place where you're feeling vulnerable. You're feeling weak. You're feeling like, I don't know if I can take it. He says, but you're a man of God. It's your destiny. Moses had a lot of uh, competition. He had a lot of rivalry. He had the false prophet for hire, Balaam, you know, but he stood his ground. David had crazy King Saul chasing him down. Elijah had Jezebel and Ahab after him and 400 false prophets to deal with. Elisha, he was a man of God. He had the king constantly trying to capture and kill him. And he says, nothing moved them. And you, man of God, are cut out of the same fabric as Moses, as Elisha, as Samuel. That's who you are. That's your calling, not because of your own strength, but because God Almighty has placed his hand upon you and you belong to him. And so uh, all of this description about how worldly people are and how vulnerable they are to follow the ways of this world, he says, but you, but you. Not you. You know who you are, to whom you belong. Live up to your destiny. These six things that you have to pursue. So he says, man of God, flee from all of this. So know what you should run away from. You know, normally, you're supposed to stand and fight. And you think when he says, you're a man of God, so do get out, right? He doesn't say that. He says, you're a man of God, so get out of there when you know it's smart put some distance between you and the slippery slope. There are some besetting sins, sins of passion and unbridled lust and and greed. Those are things that you need to run away from and that's not the cowardly thing to do, oh man of God. It's the smart thing to do. Uh, Joseph, well built and handsome, the Bible said. He's there in Potiphar's house. Potiphar's wife took a liking to him and tried to seduce him and day after day, one day cornered him. And what did he do? He didn't try to reason with her. (laughs) He got out of there. He got out of there. He fled. He's a Bible hero. There's nobody like Joseph in the Old Testament. He's a Bible hero because you, man of God, know Went to flee. David was fleeing Saul. It's not. It's not a cowardly thing to understand. Uh, I need to put some distance between me and this thing. That is brave. That is wise. That is smart. That is good. And so uh, he goes on. He goes on to say, "Now pursue." Now, what's interesting to me? So, if you're taking notes, number one is flee. Number two is pursue. That's an active verb. Now, what is he saying there? Pursue these qualities that you're supposed to be adding and growing and increasing in your life. You don't have them. Why would you be chasing down and trying to implement something that you already have? You're supposed to be growing in your Christian life and these are just six very important characteristics to have and the first one is righteousness and that has two meanings. Righteousness is, first of all, a gift. I have Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 14 that shows you that there's one side of righteousness that is freely given. When you trust in God, you are put right with him. That's a free gift. It righteousness that comes by faith. Now look at the by one sacrifice Jesus on the cross he made perfect forever those are being those who are being made holy. So this is called the already but not yet. All right? See, look at your verse. He made you perfect perfect forever done when you believed. Now you're being made into the man and the woman of God that is your destiny. When he put the Holy Spirit in you, he calls it a down payment for the good thing that's going to come. I have a second scripture there in Philippians there that just shows this. Only let us live up to what we've already obtained. So when he's asking you, back to the original verse, to add into your life righteousness, he's talking about doing the right thing because of who you are, who you have already been made. You're seated in heavenly places. You're already there. Now he's just saying, make the choice day to day to live according to who you really are, who you're becoming, who God made you, and in one sense, who you really are. Be true to yourself. Listen, you always hear this to be used in an ungodly way. I have to be true to myself and then they sin. No. To be true to ourselves is to deny the sin and the weakness and the worldliness and that which is common to all men. That is what we do. We deny that part of ourselves and we accept and we and we blossom into the person that God wants us to be our destiny and so godliness just means to be like God <laughs> we're supposed to be like Christ Christ is fullness of deity in bodily form colossians 2:9 which means God poured himself into a human body and that's Jesus and he's our example so if he's saying hey i want you to add to your life pursue godliness So the next time somebody insults you or offends you, act like Jesus. The next time there's a job that that needs to be done, that's humble, that nobody wants to do it. Let's say we are godly. That means I'll do the job nobody wants to do. I'll wash the feet, as it were because you're being godly, like Christ. Then he goes on to faith and love. I have a scripture. We're supposed to be growing in faith and love. I love the Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians 1 and 3. I always go that way. I'm going this way this time. (laughs) We ought always to thank God for you, brothers, and rightly so, because your faith is is growing more and more. And the love every one of, of you has for each other is increasing. We work at everything. We work at our budgets. We work at our career. We work at at, at our... uh, On our bodies, you know, some of us. (laughs) Not me. I just lay around and eat. And read books. (laughs) No, I ride my bike. I work out sometimes, whatever. (laughs) Don't start me down that path. Okay, so... so, Well, we're supposed to be thinking, pursuing, uh, uh, making... uh, And aim, having goals of these kinds of things, growing. I'm just asking you, are you growing in your faith? Faith comes by hearing the word of God. You can grow that way, right? Are you growing in your love for him and for others? It goes on. I can't spend any more time than I already have, but um, two general safeguards there in your text. It says, so back, yeah, thank you. Uh, Endurance, he says, add to your faith pursue this endurance yeah i love this proverbs 24:10 get ready if you falter in times of trouble how small is your strength now have you ever read that and thought that sounds like an insult you know why it is <laughs> it's kind of a smack it's a little poke it's a little jab what is wrong with you you a little trouble comes your way and oh i can't take it oh Oy vey, please, stop. He's talking to Jews, it's the Old Testament. He's saying, are you serious, person of God? A little trouble, and you will? Like a little wilted pansy? I'm, I'm, I'm at the flower, the flower that falls over. I'm getting in trouble. Stick to your notes, stick to your notes. Let me read this verse to you in New Living Translation. You are a poor specimen if you can't stand the pressure of adversity. Now, listen. Uh, Jeremiah was whining one day to God. And the Lord said, you know what, Jeremiah? If you've raced with men on foot and they've worn you out, how are you going to compete with horses? If you stumble in safe country, how will you manage in the thickets by the Jordan?" That's Jeremiah chapter 12. Here's what he's saying. If you think this is bad, how are you going to handle it when things really get tough? Endurance. Endurance means to remain under. Two words in the Greek. I heard a pastor say one time. He said, you know, when we're singing... In moments like these, I lift up my hands and out of your mouth in worship, you're singing. I lift up my hands and your hands are there. He said, He said, if you're intimidated on a Sunday morning in the pews to do what your mouth is saying you're supposed to be doing, which is in Old Testament and New Testament. We're Lifting hands to worship. If you're fighting a, a battle to do that among the brothers and the sisters, please, how are you going to handle the workplace? Are they, you Bible thumper. Yeah. Oh, you're a hater, you know. Oh, the religion of bigotry I see, open Bible. If you falter... In times of trouble, how little is your strength? So he says, Timothy, pursue endurance. Don't let it out of your sight. The last one, gentleness, and then we've got to move. Gentleness, and I'm not going to do this through the whole thing. I just couldn't get away from it. You know how I am. (laughs) Gentleness is a rare word. Jesus described himself. Uh, that way, he said, come to me, I'm gentle, or another translation is meek. It, it means a soft-hearted strength. You know, it doesn't mean weakness, because, you know, don't mess around with Jesus. <laughs> Read Revelation. Uh, he is not weak. Here's a nice quote, and then we'll move on. The faithful servant must be able to serve God amidst the ups and downs, the bumps and bruises of life, dealing with difficult people Undeserved criticism, offenses, frustrations With a soft heart Kindness in your voice Grace in your actions And a smile on your face It's defined this way Ferocious, unyielding, overcoming kindness Because nothing will short-circuit A steward, a faithful steward of God Like becoming bitter, cold, uncaring And there's a lot of reasons that we tend to get that way. He says, Timothy, but you, you're a man of God. You're a woman of God out there. Guard your heart from getting cynical and uncaring, but kind. You'll go further. You will hear, uh, what is God going to say to somebody who's been rude and uncaring all their lives? Well done, good and rude person. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think so, all right? That's why I keep going to these texts, right? Again, I know I shouldn't do this, but I have Second Peter chapter 1, and Peter's in on this conspiracy too. Here's what he's saying. For this very reason, make every effort, make every effort, this isn't Paul, this is Peter, to add to your faith goodness Oh, don't stop there. Goodness to knowledge and knowledge, self-control, self-control, perseverance, perseverance, godliness, and godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. There you have it. Keep pursuing these kinds of things that at the end, He will not say, wow, you weren't very productive. Hey, I gave you two, but what happened there? Right? So that's pretty important. Okay, so uh, here's your list of things to keep working hard at. Um, Doing what's right, becoming like Jesus, trusting God, loving him and others, toughening it up, going the distance, and remaining kind. All right, now a bigger chunk, 12 through 16. Now he's going to say, he said, flee. Then he said, pursue. Now he's going to say, fight. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and read a little bit further, but we'll come back to that. In the sight of God who gives life to everything, he's charging Timothy now. And of Christ Jesus who while testifying before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, I charge you to keep this command, by this command he means the gospel, the faith, his Christian life, without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time, God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords who alone is immortal and who lives in an unapproachable light whom no one has seen or can see to him be honor and might forever. Amen. Okay, so we're making some headway here. So number three, the third command is fight. Now anybody who is hoping to hear a well done from the Lord will have to have done their fair share of fighting. Uh, Now, not with one another, (laughs) but, uh, with what we're going to talk about here. Now, why don't you just put, yeah, thank you, you're ahead of me. Verse 12, fight the good fight of faith. Now, metaphors for the Christian life are, are really um, common, and they all involve the same things. Exertion, effort, discipline, right? The heart, we're described as hardworking, patient farmers. This is a hard job. Laborers in a vineyard, long hours, hard Construction workers, builders. The Christian is is described as dedicated soldier, an athlete, a runner, and now a fighter. Now, he calls it a good fight. Fight the good fight. Well, that's because most fights have a negative connotation, but this is a fight that ends with eternal life, it's good because the cause is noble. It is good because God is good. And uh, it is good because there's reward of the life. Those who hear well done will have fought with whom? Number one, your own sinful nature. Romans 7, Paul says, the thing I don't want to do, I end up doing. The very thing I want to do, I don't do that. I can't understand myself. When I want to do good and I do good, evil, evil is right there with me. Paul tells the Galatians, you know what your trouble is? You have two natures. That's why you can't complete doing the good thing you want to do because you have a nature, listen, that wars within you. The word is warfare about your own heart. You got to fight. And the tools that we fight with her with the Holy Spirit, right? Number two, we fight the hostile environment. Romans 12, I love Moffat's uh, translation of verse one. He says, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. Don't let the world, the world has a plan for you. You know, God has a wonderful plan for your life and so does the world, all right? So you're gonna have to fight and choose uh, who, whose mold am I going to fit? into you have to fight and then of course we have adversaries that you can't see 1 Peter 5 and 7 and 8 what does it say be on your guard you have an enemy the devil who prowls about looking for someone to devour but you man of God you woman of God resist him resist the devil and he'll flee so yeah This is enough to keep you busy to fight the good fight. Amen? Amen. Now, perhaps the most important verse of all that people just read over, take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. The Greek word there is, is tenacious grip of life and death. And here's what he's saying. Look, he's describing the nature of your fight. He's never telling a Christian that God never expects a Christian woman or a Christian man to, by your own effort and willpower, to manifest something of character. It's the fruit of the Holy Spirit, right? So all your energies is to learn how to cooperate with this force called eternal life here in your text that came into you on the day that you opened your heart and came to saving faith something happened and it was bigger than you and it came in in the power of the Holy Spirit the one who created heaven and earth his spirit came into you and he says take hold of that grab onto that and work in cooperation with him let him have his way let him increase here's your work letting him increase and you decreasing, you putting your sins to, the, to death, putting on the new person, taking off the old. That's your work. Your work is cooperating with this power. I, I like what he said. Paul, Paul Philippians three twelve. 12. He's telling Timothy to do what he does. He said, not that I've already obtained all this. And I'm pursuing, I'm working, or have already been made perfect. I'm growing. But I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Acts chapter 9. I'm on my way, minding my own business, ready to go, persecute some Christians. And this hand from heaven just took hold of me. Grabbed me by the scruff of my soul. I said, Paul, you're coming with me. And I just said, Okay. And I took hold of that hand and that hand and I and me. We're working together. I am working with everything in me to hang on to him. That's what he's saying. He's saying again in Colossians chapter one and verse 29. Look, check this out. To this end I labor. That is a very strong Greek word. To toil with sweat to strain. Struggling with all, whoops, his energy, which so powerfully works in me. All your effort is in saying yes to him and no to you. That's the secret. Uh, I'll tell you this, I've mentioned it before, an illustration of this. Uh, We lived in San Francisco and the kids were little, uh, we lived across from uh, Ocean Beach. We used to go up and run the dog up, up on uh, as soon as Skyline Boulevard goes up, and there's a, just a cliff overlooking the sea. And a lot of hang gliders use that area, and you could go right up there and watch them. Just take a few steps off, as insane as they are, <laughs> and just step right off and. One day I got into a conversation with somebody and he was holding up his hang glider and it had the crossbar on it and it looked to me like he was carrying the cross and it looked very heavy. And I said, that thing looks heavy. He goes, it is, (laughs) it is. And he had beads of sweat and he goes, man, he's dragging it. And I said, it reminds me, I'm a Christian, it reminds me of the cross. And he goes, oh yeah, 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 it's heavy. It's a heavy cross. And then he goes, you know, funny thing though. He goes, at first, I'm thinking, I'm carrying it. I'm doing all the work. And then I take a few steps and then I realize it's carrying me. And he steps off and he soars. He's harnessing the power. Of the wind. That is the Christian key. The Christian key is to cooperate with the Holy Spirit that's inside of you to take hold of the eternal life. And at first you're thinking, oh, I'm carrying it. I can't get the cross. I gotta die to this. And then suddenly, whoosh, you're soaring with the Lord. You're doing things you never dreamed. You're being the person that you never thought you could be and always wanted to be. And it's an amazing thing. He's not asking you to come up with a hurricane, you know? He's not asking you to create the wind, you know? There are a lot of Christians who are trying to create the wind. He's asking you, work to harness the wind. I got all the power you need. Trust me, Cooperate with me. Die to yourself. And let me carry you to do great things. And so it goes on. Do we have the second verse, 13, there? Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of eternal life to which you were called. When you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Now listen, watch, there's two good confessions. Verse 13, in the sight of God, who gives life to everything, and of Christ Jesus, who while testifying before Pontius Pilate made the good confession. Now he's gonna charge him. So here's what he's going to, how he's gonna inspire you to do all of this hard work to work with the Holy Spirit. He's going to say, remember your beginning and remember what's coming. Remember the start. Remember where this is all headed. Now, the first thing he says, uh, remember back when you made your good confession. Now, what is he talking about? He's talking about when Timothy was baptized. When he first believed, 15, 16 years old, uh, uh, Paul came through his hometown of Lystra. He got saved. And he stood up and he, and he made the confession, a good confession. He said, I am acknowledging the truth. There's a God in heaven and I'm aligning myself with the gospel. I'm identifying now here in my baptism with Jesus Christ, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And I have died to the old Timothy and my sins are covered over. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the one who's alive, Jesus Christ, who's alive, he raises me up to a new life. And I live by the power of God, not the old Timothy, but the new Timothy. That's the good confession. He's saying, bro, you're feeling like you can't go on. You're feeling like there's too much pressure. You're feeling like maybe you've given up or compromising a little bit. Don't you remember when Christ came into your life and turned it upside down, poured on you power and peace and freedom from sin? Uh, I'm thinking about my own baptism. In 1979, just out of a bar. No knowledge of God. Abuse. All of our lives. And. One day. We all got saved. My mother. My father. My brother. My sister. My other brother. We all got in the same baptism tank. At church. (laughs) That water was so dirty from our sins. (laughs) If my mentor Said, Ross, come on. Do you remember the day you climbed in that tank with your whole family? Was that not a miracle of God? These crazy Jew Italians. (laughs) My father's a Jew, my mother's Italian, and I'm crazy. (laughs) We were, that was our good confession. There's a God, Christ has changed us. And he said, Timothy, you made a vow to finish to the end all the way. And he said, your good confession is you're in good company because guess who else made a good confession? Jesus Christ before Pontius Pilate. And I happen to have his good confession for you. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus, and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? I love Jesus. Is that your own idea, or did somebody tell you that? (laughs) Am I a Jew? Pilate replies. Don't get snitty with the Son of God, Pilate. It was your people and your chief priests who handed you over to me. What is it that you've done? Here it comes. He said, don't you know I have the power to crucify you? Jesus said, no, you don't. Here's my confession. My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But now my kingdom is from another place. Well, then you are a king. Jesus said, you're right in saying I am a king. In fact, for this reason, I was born. And for this reason, I came into the world to testify to the truth everyone on the side of truth listens to me and go ahead and kill me now. The good confession, the public confession that you make puts you in harm's way and at odds with the world in a hostile relationship as it did your founder, your Lord. You're at odds with the world and your own self and the devil Because Jesus stood up and said, this is the truth. I am who I am. There is a God. And then he draws a line in the sand and he says, anybody on the side of truth listens to me. Ah, what are you doing when you make your confession? You're you're saying the same thing. There's a God. I stand with him. I stand against the world. God condemned the world in a sense when he said its deeds are evil. I stand with him. He said, whoever's on the side of truth listens to me. Guess what? In my good confession, I stand with him. I'm standing with him. Timothy, that's why you're in trouble. That's why you're in trouble. You'll be okay with that. And then did you say, I charge, did you see, rather, I charge you in the sight of God who gives life to everything. Why did he put that in there? Because if they kill you like they did your Lord, it's okay if you make this confession and you're going to have to die and light up Nero's gardens they were taking guys out of church like Timothy dear Timothy and putting them up on platforms and lighting them on fire to light Nero's gardens at night while they all sat around and caroused but he said don't worry That's what happened to your Lord when he made a good confession. You've made the good confession. It may put you in harm's way, but guess what? In the sight of God who gives life to everything, he'll raise you from the dead. Jesus said in Matthew 10, what are you guys so scared about people who can kill your body and then after that do nothing? They're powerless to touch the real you. He said, you want to know who you should really be reverent toward? is the one who has the power that after your body is dead, then he can either ordain you to heaven or to hell. Jesus' words, Matthew 10. He says, so in the sight of God, don't worry about it. He gives life to everything. And so we'll be moving on. So then the charge... Verses 14 through 16. We're almost done. We're almost done. Then we're going we're gonna to give you a barbecue today, all right? Okay, guess what? It's going to be free today. How about that? It's free. Anybody happy about that? We always, the last barbecue is always supposed to be free, and somehow we forgot about that. And so, yeah. Praise the Lord. Yeah. I'm just trying to cheer you up. I know I'm going long. (laughs) All right. I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. So he says look backward and look forward to the end. to the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time. And then Paul breaks into praise. God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see, to him be honor and might forever. There's no way Paul can bring up the appearing of the Lord Jesus and not break forth into praise. And that's what he does here, even though he's not done. He still has a group to address in the church. But he, he mentions the appearing and he just kind of goes crazy. He says, listen, if there's one thing to keep you faithful, it's remembering that he's going to light up the sky. There are three terms for the second coming. I have them for you in the Greek. epiphany, Epiphaneia, where we get the word epiphany. Apocalypsis, where we get the word for revelation. Or unveiling and parousia, which means the arrival of a royal dignitary or the arrival of a king, and that that word is the most often used word of them all. So I, I also have um, from Matthew. Um, yeah, thank you. This is supposed to inspire Timothy, for his lightning that comes from the east is visible even in the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man immediately after the distress, the tribulation. Of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from the sky, and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, the Son of the Son of God, the Son of Man, will appear in the sky, and all the nations of the earth will mourn, they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of, of the sky with power and great glory when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him. He will sit on his throne in his heavenly glory. So, if you really believe that, that ought to inspire you to remain faithful and true to your calling. Two things he says in, in the text. Keep yourself from uh, moral stain and live in above reproach and those are two things that Timothy has to take to mind and then the, the, the beautiful doxology he's got Nero on his mind because he's the king of the world at the time and he says blessed be God he starts thinking of the second coming he goes our God the blessed God it means the happy the good natured God as opposed to this bad hearted one uh, the only ruler the Lord says who is like me the king of kings, the Lord of lords, a beautiful title that the Lord Jesus has on the side of his robe when he appears. Then he says he dwells in unapproachable light, that he has this fire, this blazing brilliance about him. And also in verse 16, a lot of Christians wonder about this. Nobody can see God in his essence. No human eye, no human being. We're finite creatures. We're not equipped for it. So he's saying gone in all his essence, you cannot approach him in this way. But when you've been bought and paid for and changed and pure in heart, you shall see God. But it's an amazing thing of that we will see him when this is his nature. So praise done, we don't want to forget one last group he wanted to address. Let's get this through. Verse 17. Now, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Now, let's pause there, okay? So he, now he's saying, man and God, don't be sabotaged by your success. And he's gonna talk to one last group in the church, those who have money. Now, listen, he's balancing things out now. Because he's been talking about the love of money, which is evil. Now he's just talking about people who happen to be blessed by God with money, which is not a, a sin. So he says, let me tell you, dear Christian, with a few extra discretionary dollars, how to use that and not be used not to hinder your Christian life because God loves people, he's blessed with money and he doesn't want to see them uh, fall in any way. And so really, number one, who's he talking to? Everybody in this church is rich when you compare down. There's one billion people in India who would call anybody here rich. Everybody I met in India, every last one of them, would consider the poorest person in here as wealthy. You have way more than they will ever dream of having. So really, don't look up because even the, the, the richest person in this place, materially speaking, uh, if you look up, you're poor. <laughs> because Forbes just came out with a list of the, uh, the most uh, amount of billionaires the world has ever known now exist, Now, so the richest person in here is poor if you look up. But if we look down as we should be looking, we are the ones. Anybody in Timothy's time would look to you and say, he's talking to them here, right? And and, uh, when I was a kid, when you said someone was a millionaire, oh, 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 man, it was like a millionaire. You know what? (laughs) Today... If you said someone's a millionaire, you know what that means? It means they own a starter home in Santa Rosa. (laughs) Come on, people, come on. So the first thing he says, he says, don't let, you know, uh, nothing causes somebody to be a little bit arrogant than a whole bunch of zeros in your bank statement. I mean, a whole bunch of zeros followed by, yeah, a whole number. <laughs> yeah. thank you you need the whole number in there to make that work all right he says don't be arrogant he says oh, come on it's so uncertain don't be don't feel like you're better than anybody else because you ha- happen to have more than they do proverbs 23 4 and 5 don't wear yourself out to get rich. Have the wisdom to show restraint. Cast but a glance at riches, and they're gone. They'll sprout wings and fly away. Even great fortunes have been lost in 24 hours. And uh, our hope is not to be in the money. He says, watch out for that. Watch out for feeling superior. And watch out for putting your hope uh, or banking on your money there. Now, verse 18, verse uh, 18. Oh, by the way, he says, trust in God who freely gives us all things to enjoy. God wants us to enjoy. You know what? You can, you can rise before dawn, look at the, watch the sunset with your cup of coffee, your open Bible, your cup of tea, whatever it is, and you can have more enjoyment in your heart than somebody who's on the Greek islands, you know, partying with the Kardashians. Laughter <laughs> I don't know who or what they are. (laughs) But I know everyone wants to be like them, apparently, in the world. But you, but you, man of God, but you, woman of God, right? Better is a meal with a little vegetables, with God's love, than a steak and lobster dinner where there's strife and unbelief and envy, That's a paraphrase of one of the Proverbs there. So, okay, so verse 18, we're closing down. Command them to do good, to use their money, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, check this out this is Jesus' teaching, he's elaborating in this way they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they will not so that they may take hold of life that is truly life be generous use your funds to help advance the cause of Christ there are so many ways to do that Be sensitive to the Holy Spirit who says, listen, I've blessed you so that you can be a blessing. And one of the reasons God blesses generous people is because he knows that they're going to be generous. And that's why he gives to givers. Because he wants it to be dispersed and to help people. And he knows who he can trust. That's the secret there. Now, interesting. Now, we have one last scripture from Matthew about not storing up for yourselves treasures on earth, Jesus speaking, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust (laughs) rust don't destroy and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Here's what he's saying. Listen, Paul just said, you can't take it with you. You come in penniless, you go out penniless. But evidently, You can send some on ahead, and here's how you do it. You exchange the money into the current currency of the place you're going. When I went to China, I pull out some dollars. There's a lot of, oh, no, no, no. We don't take those. They're worthless here in some areas. What you need is Chinese money, won, right? That's what you need. The Bible says you can't take your dollars to heaven, But you can go to the heavens bank and say, I'm going to this country and I hear they don't take this but they do take good deeds. So I'm putting this amount of money on a good deed here, right? And it goes through. Lays up a tre- treasure. Go back to the verse. You lay for yourself a firm foundation for your next life. There's going to be reward there. So, as I told first service, there was a a man who blessed a a man in our congregation back in Calvary, uh, Petaluma. Uh, Everybody knew him, and it was just a delightful family. And they were having car trouble and blew up on the freeway. It was a big mess. And the guy, you know, he he has means, generous. And he found out about it anonymously, went through the church, and they got him a nice car. It was a used car, but it was reliable, right? So you could be thinking, now I'm out five grand. He's not out five grand. He exchanged five grand into heavenly currency, that when he gets there, that five grand meant something. It's actually there waiting as some kind of accolade from the Lord, some kind of blessing. That's what he's saying. It's not what the pastor's saying. I'm telling you what he's telling you to do. Amen? Amen. I just hate it that we can't even talk like this because there's been so much abuse, you know, and so it makes it hard to say. So now he says, okay, Timothy, it's time to go. And he says the last verse there. He says, Timothy, guard what's been entrusted to your care turn away from godless chatter and the opposing ideas of what is falsely called knowledge which some have professed and in so doing wander from the faith grace be to you a little awkward close <laughs> let me tell you why he wants timothy to remember this you always remember the last part especially if it's out of context you just told me all of that. But he's talking about the rich. I don't want you. You're not rich. I'm not talking to you. I want you to remember what's really important. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> and he is left with this to think, okay, I've got to turn away from godless chatter and the opposing ideas out there, Gnosticism, falsely called knowledge. That's why they named it Gnosticism because no, from the Greek word to know in the Greek. That's why it's Gnosticism. So it's this new age thought. He says, Timothy, don't, don't cave in. It's a lot of stuff out there. Now, last thing. i got a clip from the YouTube. From YouTube. <laughs> my, my son said, Dad, you always say the YouTube. And you, sound, and you sound so old. I said, I have never said the YouTube in my life. And I just said it. <laughs> All right. I got a clip for you. You've probably seen it, but... Unbelievable how these clips come when I'm talking about this exact thing, right? Now listen, Paul just condemned anybody with a corrupt mind who would teach that godliness is a way to financial gain, all right? So there are entire ministries that teach that. Now, once in a while, somebody will come along and just say three sentences that sums up the entire spirit of the age, And that happened. And you're going to see it. And we're going to cut it short at the last part. Don't, you know, yeah, you know, okay. All right. Okay, now I just want to show you how, that, how subtle this deception is. Because there's a Colosseum there and they all have Bibles on their laps. All right? And they're all amening and her husband's going like this. Right? Let me show you how subtle that was. Make your decisions in light of what makes you happy. Then God will be happy because he wants you to be happy. Wow. <laughs> Turn it around and you'll find out We are to deny ourselves Pick up our cross and follow him And please him And in pleasing him we become happy Amen? Amen. Alright, now I'm going to play it with Bill Cosby's comment at the end (laughs) You didn't know Bill Cosby had something to say about this It's in the great joy this morning. So I want you to know this morning just do good for your own self. Do good because God wants you to be happy. When you come to church, when you worship Him, you're not doing it for God, really. You're doing it for yourself. Because that's what makes God happy. Amen. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's stand, stand together. <laughs> You know, when I'm in a loss for words, Bill Cosby comes through. All right, let's have the closing song, all right? Well, we might as well settle down with a word of prayer and then closing song. (laughs) Heavenly Father, we are surrounded. We are surrounded by an age that does not want to hear sound doctrine but has accumulated to themselves teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. So we pray as you call us out but you men and women of God flee all of that. Pursue righteousness and faith and love and endurance and kindness and fight the good fight of faith we need you, God. It's a slippery slope out there. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Help us to apply these truths. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, closing song. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvarytherock.org.